The Broken Yoke was established in 2015 by two local brothers. The Broken Yoke's vision is to provide great service, consistent, amazing food, and build relationships with our stakeholders. Their aim is to make everyone feel like they are a part of the family. This is you. The Broken Yoke are big supporters and believers of Kids Sport Calgary. Sports is the foundation of the brothers lean on when it comes to business. When playing a sport, you're practicing a skill that is related to your sport, but more importantly, there are life lessons and life skills to be learned from playing sports. As a company, we have a mission, and that is we use the restaurant as a platform to grow and empower our team and ourselves. We want our team to succeed in life, but most importantly, in life outside of the broken yoke. Because of your support, we are able to grow our company. We know this past year has been challenging, to say the least. So if you have supported us through takeout, dine-in, or even just through social media, we want to thank you, and we are grateful for you, Calgary. Looking to listen to Sport Calgary's podcast on the go? Be sure to follow the Face First podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, free to download on all iOS and Android devices. Welcome back to Face First Podcast Season 2. My name is Grace Dafo. And my name is Alicia Rislang. So happy to be here for Season 2. Thanks for tuning in. I know, and it's exciting that we are actually recording in person safely, but recording in person to be in the same room is... It feels like a dream compared to the last season. Definitely makes things a lot easier, that's for sure. And I'm sure the quality of sound is quite a bit better as our internet connection is no longer needed. Yeah, and I don't have to wait for my internet to lag for me to try and jump in. And then uh, and then Riz has already jumped in with a question. So hopefully the viewer or the viewers, the listeners, enjoy it a bit more. And we're a little more back and forth. We have our dynamic back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So Grace, give us a personal update. What is going on? How was your season? You're in off season now. What's the plan for the summer? Yeah. So came back, got kind of reacquainted with life and started applying for the off season. Um, My season was great. We ended the the year with a training camp in Whistler and it was really great to just end it on a good note and on a training camp, Um, had lots of positivity and fun. And then I came home, like I said, and I actually ended up getting COVID. So that wasn't that fun. Um, Boo. (laughs) Boo. So, I mean, it's delayed our recording of season two a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, that wasn't fun. But I'm now back full training, full health. And, yeah, just crushing it at the track and on weights. And the ice house is opened. I know you're excited about that as well. So training is a go and eyes on next year. How about you? Yeah, eyes on next year. And as people probably don't know this, but any athlete who uh, is on an Olympic athlete, I would say, in an Olympic sport that you compete in, um, the the summer or the off-season leading into your Olympic year is usually, you you call it the end of the quad, and that's the one that you you aim to peak in and you try and be your absolute best. So um, I know for myself personally, if I want to make it back to the games this year, um, I need to have the, the best summer of my life. So, um, there's a lot on the line for me. I was, uh, very excited to, you know, have that opportunity to compete in, in Europe and, uh, having my first ever race in the monomob event, which is going to be an Olympic sport coming in February. Um, and we got our, so we got the sleds in January, and uh, we, it's an Olympic sport 
13 months from that. So not a lot of time to, to be acquainted with the sleds. So, um, when I got back from Europe and finished my quarantine, I re-quarantined, we'll get into that and, uh, headed off to Whistler, saw you there. And I was there completely on a monobob camp where I spent three weeks, uh, just learning these new sleds. We were learning, we were changing the setup of them. They're standardized sleds. Um, meaning that every single girl who wants to compete in it has to have the exact same sled, but how you run it, um, in terms of how the mechanics are, you are able to change that and make it more personal, much how your skeleton sled kind of works. But I guess you guys don't have standardized sleds either though. No, but I, it's been a hot topic that I would love to see, you know, the best in the world on a standardized sled and, and, and stuff and see what happens because I mean... I'm just, just interested to see how Monobob plays out with it's, that. It's going to be really interesting. So both Grace and I are sports. Um, the, our equipment plays a massive factor. And uh, so both the sled and then the runners, which are the blades on the bottom of the sled, um, and the runners are interchangeable. And so your runners, you can change based on ice conditions, and sometimes you gamble and you gamble wrong. <laughs> And it affects how you do in a race. As seen, I think, in your St. Moritz World Cup this season. Yeah, unfortunately. I had, drove so well and showed up, and everybody was on the fattest runners they had. And I thought it was going to snow, and I showed up on my schmedium. They're, they were tapered runners, and sure enough, I got to the bottom, and we competed great. That My drive was great. We pushed super well, and I was slow. <laughs> um, but that's in the two-man. So, yeah, it will be a good team trial to see if maybe this is the – the new way of the sliding sports with this new monobob event is maybe the standardized uh, sled just gives everyone a more level playing field. Yeah. It's a, it's always exciting when a, when a new event comes out, I feel like like big, I think it was big air in the, in 2018 and Pyeongchang came out and everyone was like, Whoa, this is so awesome. I just, I always get excited to see it. I know in Tokyo, I'm looking forward to stuff like skateboarding and surfing, surfing, yeah, being on, on the Olympic stage. I think it's, um, I think it's really interesting and it's always just, because you never know what's going to happen, kind of. There's someone who might be the best, but someone just rises to the occasion on that day and ends up on the podium. Yeah, and, and a lot of the, these new sports, I mean, for us, bobsled is still bobsled. You're still driving a bobsled, but um, the monobob is by far the hardest dra- uh, sled to drive because you have so much less control because of the weight. You're, there's only one person in the sled. The sled weighs, it's close to a two-man. It's only about five kilos lighter than what I run my two-man at. Um, just because I'm a little bit heavier, so there's a, a, it evens out, but, um, it certainly will be entertaining for the folks who want to see some power slides and skids everywhere because they're just so hard to handle. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a good old power skid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kind of looks like (laughs) go-karts. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that it'll be really interesting to watch. How about your summer training though? You've been running, lifting, all that. Yeah. Um, great start. Uh, the biggest thing for me was missing 2019, 20 season due to injury and then COVID hit and that turned into missing a full season into, um, 22 months between my two international competition dates. So that was, it was a tough year for me, um, mentally to get back into competition mode. It was actually a lot harder to do because I felt that, it wasn't a regular season, even though we were still able to get to Europe. Um, there were so many restrictions on COVID, uh, restrictions on hanging out with my own teammates, um, and a lot of a lot of isolation. And that that I really didn't handle it as well as I was expecting to. Um, but most important thing about looking back on last season is 
Um, I had to take some mental health notes on how I handled my year um, and apply those to how I'm going to handle my summer training when I just feel like I'm under a significantly amount of more stress. Did you notice that this year was tougher on your mental health? I think it was just the vast amount of days. And I mean, I'm, I'm not as experienced as you necessarily in the World Cup tours. So my tours have generally been shorter because we do double races. Mm-hmm. So as you know, in North America's Cup, you go bang, bang. And so you do eight races, but they're over a span of four weeks. And what really stuck out for me was, you said, the amount of isolation and time away from home. But also, like, my way of decompressing is generally exploring the area that we're in. Mm-hmm. And literally not being able to leave the confines of your room or the track can... Um, definitely take a toll. And I also think that it just, yeah, seeing the same people maybe over and over, like we had the once our one safe person, our roommate. And I mean, I'm very lucky that both of mine this season, I got along with great, but I couldn't help but think, oh my gosh, what if I didn't like what I, what would I have done? So yeah, I think that it was definitely a check-in point. Um, I have a sports psychologist that I work with, so it's kind of nice to have checkpoints throughout the year with her as well. And just be like, how's it going? How are you handling it? And I think that helped a lot, just knowing that it was almost like a person to vent to. <laughs> She's like, I just show up, I'm like, oh, this happened and then this happened. And, you know, it just, I think that it definitely did. But on the other end, I think like before the season even started, last all last off season was hard because of, mm-hmm. you know, constant changing restrictions in or out of the gym, training with our group, but then not being able to train with our group. The ice house being open, ice house not being open. Like it just mm-hmm. felt like the whole last, 14 months have been a roller coaster. Yeah, that's a really good word for it, roller coaster. <laughs> um, you mentioned some, some. you have a, a sports psych, right? And and I do as well. Um, mine's more of a, a little bit different. I do cognitive hypnotherapy, um, which actually has been uh, not just a, a game changer, but a life changer for me. Um, and it really helped me overcome some of my inhibitions that I had uh, dealing with PTSD from crashing in Whistler. But it, it also was really helpful um, in trying to rise to the occasion when I felt like everybody was against me this year. Um, and which was a, a, a little bit of an it's not that I haven't been here in sport before, but I haven't been there in a while. And that on top of of all the COVID, you know, wishy-washy, um, not having access to, to push a sled until 11 sessions before I needed to test after not pushing for 20 months, um, really just caused these extra stress that, that were not beneficial. Um, but we were talking that there's a lot of talk about mental health and, and in COVID in general, it's been one of the hot topics in the media, not just with, uh, people losing their jobs or whatever happening in life, but how it affects athletes. Um, and we just wanted to dive into a little bit about that on this episode and starting our, our season two with a pretty hot topic that's going on right now is that uh, Naomi Osaka, the most, not decorated, but the most I think successful. She's, and she's won, I think she was at least in the top five of winnings in the last few years. Yeah. Like, and Former number one-ish. Yeah, and I'd say she isn't the world number one right now. Or maybe sure. two. Yeah, we should, have, we should have checked that, <laughs> fact-checked ourselves before we got here. But the hot topic in the media is she recently withdrew from the French Open, which is one of the big majors. And uh, she announced via social media that she would not be speaking to the media, citing mental health reasons. Um, apparently, after her big win... Uh, two years ago, she started dealing with bouts of depression, and she felt that speaking with the media 
um, aggravated or increased her symptoms and no longer wanted to um, address the media because she wanted to focus on playing and being healthy. And so what did the French Open Tehran do? They, f- they find her money. And so it, I really think they forced her hand to, with- to she, she withdrew to prove, prove a point, but also take care of herself. Mm-hmm. But like her initial attention, intention seemed, and I mean, we're, we're outsiders on the situation and obviously not tennis gurus or, no, you know, not. and, know but I think it, it is important athletes, mental health, and she's obviously under a lot of stress and already is dealing with depression. It seems as she's announced, but it seems like they forced her hand and then she kind of was like, she had committed to the tournament, but then was like, well, if you're not going to, if you're going to keep finding me, they threatened that if she kept doing it, they were going to remove her from the tournament themselves. So she kind of was like, fine, I'm out. I'm out. So I think that's kind of where the situation is at. Now, I, like, I don't pretend to know the intense media scrutiny she's under. Um, they do the sport of skeleton. You do bobsleigh. They're <laughs> by no means under the same amount limelight. of <laughs> limelight yeah. um but that being said I, I know that it's a topic that's really important for athletes and that's that's why we're talking about it here and we should preface that we're not experts and like if you need help there's help out there mm-hmm. and find someone reach out and get the help you need um we mentioned our sports psych i worked with her through the canadian mental health it was, oh i should get this the canadian mental health in sport um which is partnered with csi um the canadian sport institute and i think that if you're an athlete you know, you can kind of reach out maybe in that direction. Yeah. And so when she withdrew, when Naomi Osaka withdrew from the tournament, um, there was a lot of outpour from different athletes supporting her. Uh, both Williams sisters, I know, reached out. Steph Curry, uh, the basketball player, reached out. I think LeBron James did as well. Um, also, a lot of people who were at the top of their game. And one of the tweets I read from Steph Curry was um, – and don't quote me on this, please, but it was along the lines of um, if tennis can't even take care of their own, imagine what everyone else is facing. And um, what I wanted to, like, touch on on that is that, you know, these people are, are at the top of their game. They're the most visible in the media, and they are the ones that seemingly should have it all together I mean Osaka is the highest grossing female athlete ever I I believe if not she's again she's top three um and uh and she's so young and she was taking steps to protect herself and was punished for it and I think that's the biggest issue that we're facing right now in terms of even people under COVID stress um, whether it be return to work or, or, you know, these families issues that, you know, you're trying to do the right thing for yourself might not be what everyone wants you to do. And that is the thing that people are feeling extra pressure or obligations to. Um, and, uh, and it's been a very hard issue, I think, for a lot of athletes dealing with this kind of pressure. Now, you and I have talked a little bit about, like, we're sliding athletes. We don't, we're not in the media all the time. But, Grace, can you think of a time that the media um, benefited you or took away from your performance at any time? Well, I mean, I, so, like, my thought on media is, like, any time someone approaches me and I look on the website and make sure it's credible, like, I will, I will say yes to it because I think we get so few media requests, especially in, I would say, in the last few years. Like, mm-hmm. Olympic year, I've, I've already felt the attention kind of like, 
you know, shift over and a few more come my way than normal. Um, but I think that it just kind of like, I, I'm, I almost feel obligated to say yes. And if you're listening to this and I've done a meeting interview for you, I'm sorry. Like I, I love doing them, but it does take, it does add a stress. You know, I work full time. I train all, I train, we host a podcast. Like it is an additional thing. That's like, oh my gosh, I have to schedule. But I think it like, for me, I feel obligated because I'm trying to do everything I can fight tooth and nail to just get my name out there as someone who's not as high profile. Um, but I think that mostly it's the stress of after recording an interview. And I think about it all night of, Oh my gosh, did I say the wrong thing? Is it going to come out and get twisted the wrong way? I think about it on social media too. Like, is my tweet going to be taken the wrong way for by someone and I'm going to go viral? Um, like I, I, I think that it does have this toll because we're public figures in a sense, even though like we're not as high profile, we're still putting our name out there um, as athletes. And it's kind of scary sometimes when you are in public saying your own opinions and you're like, "Uh Oh, I hope I don't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's my perspective on it, but how about you? Yeah. So in, I'm in the same kind of boat where in a sport where we're amateur athletes, we're fighting for sponsorship rights. We all press is kind of good press in a way that, you know, if your name's out there, you're more likely to be recognized. Maybe like for me, it all comes down to sponsorship dollars. So I can buy another sled and, and, um, be more successful in my sport. And I think about, um, my experience at the Olympic games and, um, after it wasn't after each heat, thank goodness, because as a pilot, I don't think I could have handled going through, uh, they called it the maze where you, you were obligated. You absolutely had to within five minutes. Um, even if you had doping control, they had to come with you, um, go through the, the maze of the media and answer all the questions that, you know, they directed at you. And, you know, the Olympic games are, is so different from even, any other race that we're in and especially I'd say more than world championships just um uh just because it's it has so much international attention and I remember I was very proud of my performance at the Olympic Games it came sixth place um Heather and I missed a medal by by 0.7 seconds and we felt good after the race like we were so proud that we wanted our last heat to be the best race and and that was so going through the media it was it was easy to answer the questions. We weren't favored to win. There was no pressure, no expectations. So when we almost did a little bit better than expected, um, we had a really positive experience. Now, if I would have flipped that and said I was a favorite to win and had a horrible drive and, or for me, knowing how I roll crashed, um, um, and having to go through that, that media experience immediately after, I don't think, I would have recovered from that. I think that would have been something that, um, as a person who embarrasses easily, easily, um, I would have been mortified and that something that could have absolutely affected my, my mental health and my mental well-being for, for months. And to the point where I probably would have even thought about retiring. And my example, um, goes back to world championships the year after 2019 favorite to medal. And, uh, I didn't crash, but I almost did on three out of four runs and, um, finished way back, way back, um, an 11th place after not even pushing. Cause I had torn my calf five weeks prior. So to have those expectations on you and then having to face the fire right after, um, 
I, I, it was hysterical. I think I cried in every interview and you know, that, that honestly did make me think about retiring. And luckily I was able to be in a position where they let me take a year off to recover. And, and I had to do my, I had to work for months with my cognitive, like it wasn't enough to be with my sports psych. She actually referred me on cause she couldn't handle it anymore. Um, cause there was just a deep rooted, we called it PTSD actually. It was like a deep rooted trauma of, of how that affected me. Um, so back to Naomi Osaka, who, you know, you're a world number one, you're favored to win in pretty much every tournament that you step into. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe you don't do so well and you have to answer the bell. And it seems like to me when I watch these interviews and I watch them interview the athletes, um, they don't, the media is there to almost make things worse. They ask questions that we already, as, as fans, we already know the answer to, like, you think that she's proud that she got knocked out early. And, um, I'm just going to bring this into a, another recent example, <laughs> going back to my Edmonton Oilers. Sorry, <laughs> all you Calgary Flames <laughs> fans, but, um, watching, uh, Watching the the post game interviews with Leon Drysaddle and Connor McDavid. Oh gosh, those were painful to watch, weren't they? And I felt you feel so bad. Like, like I remember Leon Drysaddle had his hood up and he was leaning over, and the questions that they were being asked. I wanted to go punch those people in the face. Like, it, it's just this isn't going to make them better, and this isn't going to make anyone happier. So why are we choosing to take these angles that, you know, um, focus so much on, on the, the disappointment and, and the lack of performance, but for better words. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I, I'm actually a big, like, I, I'm obviously I've been watching hockey in the playoffs as well. And, you know, I much, I seem to enjoy the perspective shared from the 24 hour, like from the next day. Um, like today, the Leafs were cleaning out today, the day we're recording, but the Leafs are cleaning out their, um, their dressing room. That's what, that's what it is. Yeah. And they do interviews then, and you can see they're a lot more composed, calm. They've had time to go home and think about it. And I just, it brings you back to the looking at those post Olympic scrums when they walk through and that it's almost like the media is looking to get out a rise so that they can get more hits. But at what point does this have to stop? Because it's affecting athletes. If it's affecting their health, affecting their mental health. And as you describe, like it's, you know, you already feel crappy and Mm -hmm. it's just amplifying it. Mm -hmm. So like we understand that the media needs to report and and we as the athletes need the media. But at what point does someone have to draw the line and say, stop being so cruel? Yeah, it's a good point because at the end of the day, it's not, it's not better for anyone. It's not better for the athlete. It's not going to get more clout to these these um, people who are asking, you know, kind of selfish questions that maybe will further their career. But in the end of the day, I think a lot of people don't, those aren't the answers that people want to hear anyway. Um, I I also saw a really awesome interview today and I I pulled it up right here just so we can have the direct quote. So Venus Williams, um, she chose to do media and um, she, she was asked kind of like, well, you've never refused to do media. Like why, why haven't you? And this is her quote. Um, I know every single person asking me a question can't play as well as I can and never will. So no matter what you say or what you write, you'll never hold accountable to me. And that's how I deal with it. And I read that today and I was absolutely inspired by it because I, as an athlete who, you know, kind of is sometimes under the fire, um, 
and this, the Williams sisters are known for not lacking any self-confidence in anything and, the, and to a fault, but also very admirably, because I think that's why they've had the success that they've had. Um, and I think we can learn a lot from that quote from people and it just doesn't just apply to sport. No, absolutely. And I think we see it, you know, the pandemic and, you know, all the responses with politicians through that as well. They, they ask the same questions sports reporters are just trying to get a rise and get them to slip up and say the wrong thing so they can ridicule them for it. Mm-hmm. It's not just sport. Unfortunately, I don't think athletes necessarily signed up to be ridiculed as much as maybe someone who runs for office. And not that they should be either, but you know what I mean? Like to be a public figure leading a country or a province, you sign up for a little bit of a different media responsibility than an athlete. But I, I loved Venus's quote. I did. I also saw that earlier today. I just, she obviously handles it in her own way, but that's not to say she's not affected by it in that statement. I see that she's still saying she's affected by it, but how she deals with it is by saying, I know when I go to bed at night, I can play tennis better than all those people saying that. So, I mean, it's all about the coping and, and athletes obviously have to develop and find their own way to navigate those kinds of situations. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a really good way. And I never actually thought about it like that. It was like, you're right. She's still affected by it, but this is how she chooses to manage and deal with it. Whereas Osako, unfortunately chose, well, unfortunately for us as fans, um, I really do like watching her play. She, she chose to withdraw because she's taking care of herself. So my question for you, Grace would be, um, when you, if you were faced under these certain, like if you were asked a really tough question, that was a stupid question. Um, about whether you had a poor performance or you made a mistake or something like that. How do you choose to, to deal with it? Well, I mean, so obviously too, I haven't, I don't have the experience that you do at the Olympics yet. Um, but for me, I'd probably think of some nondescript answer to give back. But on the other end, it depends if I've met them before. And I know like, you'll see it's the same culprits in, in these. True. So yeah. it, if I already knew that this person was going to ask me a stupid question, I probably would you know, do the, get the pucks in deep and skate, you know, kind of answer. But if, if it's someone that's like genuinely asking, you know, I think we've said, like, we've both been very vulnerable in our podcasts and sharing our, sharing our, you know, our journeys and not always knowing the perfect thing to say. And, Mm -hmm. you know, being a little bit unpolished, maybe on my end sometimes, but, um, I like, I'd rather be authentic with the media and just talk about it and share that. But I think they're also obviously not being of her, of her star power. Like I'm okay because I can still then walk around Calgary and no one knows who I am and no one's going to stop me and say, Oh, you said this. I think there does, does come a point where, yeah, you have to like put up a wall between your personal life and and put up a wall of, and have the descript answers, um, pre-planned, I guess, in a Mm -hmm. sense. Um, I don't know. I, I too, am just navigating and thinking about this, obviously heading into, you know, I'm newer on the national team and being in the Olympic track and, you know, it's just, it's stuff that I haven't thought about. So (laughs) I'll I'll just sit about and think about it all for the rest of tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something that everyone can probably think about because everyone's answers might be different because we are all different. We all cope differently. And and that's really what this story of mental health comes down to is we all have to manage our own stress in different ways. Um, I have another question for you about Mm -hmm. this though. How, if you were in Naomi Osaka's shoes and um, she she decided, rather than withdrawing from the tournament, she decided to face the media. Do you think that the media should um, 
be kind of filtered in what kind of questions maybe they had to get their questions pre-approved or do you think that would take away from the authenticity of of sport in general I think that so if she was forced to do it this is my perspective maybe she's allowed to bring someone who speaks on her behalf with her Mm -hmm. and like whoever that is on her team I know that tennis players travel with an entourage yeah like I would almost have your PR agent or whoever, and they give all the answers. Mm-hmm. I, I think that might be a solution. I don't, I, I'm, I like the pre-approved answer, but it does take away a little bit from it. But it's almost like if they submitted it, most of the press conferences are virtual, it seems anyways. If they just submitted it in the chat box and then the person picks one, three, six, they see four, note four is out. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a way to do it. And it does, like I said, take away some of the authenticity, but... Um, there has to be some kind, there has to be something Mm -hmm. because it's not right. What, in my opinion, what, like how the whole situation transpired, but also that the, the tennis association, like the players association didn't support her in, you know, also finding her therapy or some, some kind of support. Like, that's a really good point. Like why I, that's just, you know, I'm like, why didn't that happen? Why? Like by doing what they did. They're basically showcasing they don't really care about their players' mental health, and they're just going to keep subjecting them. So, I mean, yeah, that's kind of my my thoughts on it. But, I mean... So here's my next question okay. for you. <laughs> I'm still thinking about the last one. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I think this actually is going to... It took someone at the top. It took someone at the top taking a stand and making a statement. And because this has blown up around do you think this is going to start a trend where um there are going to be um mental health clauses written into tournaments and games and stuff going forward is this is this the tipping point like are we over the iceberg now of of we're not at a point where we're talking enough about mental health that there will start to be some changes I think we're still making our way up the I think she might have opened the floodgates. I mm-hmm. wonder if there's going to be more people. But part of me part of me wonders because of the way that it's played out. If if you were another tennis athlete and you're like or any athlete for that matter, but you're like also maybe struggling and haven't found the help you need or don't want to face the media as well and you see what just happened to her but you're not world number 2, you're mm-hmm. ranked 40th or whatever. Yeah. You're like well, geez, I don't want to say something because I don't want to be kicked out of the tournament or I don't have necessarily as much money as she does to take the $15,000 fine. Um, Part of me wonders if it's actually, if people were like making strides towards getting over that hump and we've actually now regressed Mm -hmm. due to the, I mean, it helps that we're more, more having these conversations and more athletes are talking about mental health and more people in general. But part of me wonders if we took a step back. What do you think? That's a, that's, I never thought about it like that. You always bring a different perspective that I never think about it like that. Um, that, that's a really good point. Um, I do, I do love the thing that I love the most about this. It it has started a movement across multiple platforms of, of athletes from all different levels. Um, and I think if we can, you know, it always seems to be a top-down approach when it comes to big changes in sport. And, um, I do think that it is, I, I feel horrible that she's struggling with depression and like, it's a very serious illness for anyone. And, um, that, that, you know, it took, 
it took someone and hopefully this doesn't spiral into something even more negative for her. Um, and I can't wait to see her compete again and be healthy. Um, but, uh, it, there's just the support that she received, I think, is the most positive thing. And that seeing it from different athletes who are at the top of their game on so many different sports, that I think that this will at least create a wave. And you're right, with the floodgates, I think that um, hopefully this is the thing that needed to happen, um, that we can start to see changes made across the board. It's going to, you're right, like anything, it's going to take some time. Um, but I really hope that we're heading towards a future where um, physical health is is appreciated and, and prioritized as much as mental health is. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting. I saw another thing, also another tweet that was talking about, you know, if a player gets injured and, and pulls out of the tournament due to injury, no questions asked, you know, they point to the boot on their foot or whatever. But because this is not a physical injury, you know, suddenly there's all the speculation and stuff. It's just interesting how they're treated so differently but obviously we're hoping that no matter what and whether they pull out of the tournament for whatever, like we should just support like as your tennis association and as fans we, mm-hmm. and as media, you should just support the athletes no matter what and hope that they come back healthy, happy for the next tournament to kick some butt and play some good tennis. I love that. Let's, let's start, let's start comparing the mental health aspect to the physical start, uh, physical health aspect, hold them in the same category um, have them be prioritized the same way. And then hopefully we'll start to see again, healthier and healthier, more athletes more often. And just to like clarify, we know that athletes aren't always going to be happy. Somebody's got to lose. So like, that's, that's definitely a but thing. Like, healthy, like overall, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The healthy piece is, is what's really important because some, some of these illnesses are, are very serious and I think sometimes overlooked of, of how important they are. Yeah. And I mean, if you're in the media and you're listening to this, remember athletes, we're human too. Please be kind. That's all. <laughs> I think everyone needs to, everyone needs to hear that. Please, please be kind to one another as we're, as we're learning more and, and, and continuing to be better human beings. Yeah. So on that note, we're going to kick off our season two. Um, I know that was a lot to dig into, but it was a great conversation and it has got me thinking (laughs) as you said, you too. Um, But yeah, we're looking forward to season two and and what we're going to do. Yeah. We're lining up some great guests along the way. And just a note on that, if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, please reach out to either Grace and I, uh, probably best way to reach me is on Instagram at Riz Bobsleigh. Um, and we'd love to have you. If you have a story about sport in Calgary or Alberta, we'd love to hear, um, your connection and your story. Yeah. And same. I'm Grace Dafo on Instagram. You can find kids sport Calgary to sport Calgary, reach out any of those avenues. And, and we'd love to have the conversation about what your story is and, and see if, see if we can have you on. Hopefully even in person. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Bye.